Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4, and look, let's look at verse 1. Uh, a familiar story, if you're new to church, then we're going to catch you up on a story many of us have heard before. It says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that he, is, he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? She responds, your servant, or I have nothing at all. There's nothing I've got. Everything's gone. My husband's gone. My boys are about to be gone. I have nothing at all. And then she said, except I've got this small jar of olive oil. And Elisha said, go around, ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour the oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put one aside. So she left him. She shut the door behind her, her and her sons. They brought the jars into her. They kept pouring, and when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is no jar left, and then the oil stopped. Flowing. Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for these wonderful stories that you've given us. Stories of people's faith. Stories of people who their backs were against the wall. Stories that help us know that even when it looks desperate or dark or hopeless, Father, you've always got a strategy to see us through. Even the things that in our minds are impossible and Father, I pray today that you speak to people's situations, stir our faith today to believe that you can do more than what we've seen up to this point in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. amen. I want to talk to you about focusing your faith, focusing your faith. The story here is, uh, again, a desperate one, a hopeless one. This woman has just lost her husband. She's grieving that. And before she recovers from the grief of that loss, the creditors show up to her house and her husband had ran up some debt, probably believing that it was a good move, a good risk to make. And unfortunately, he didn't live long enough to pay back the debt. And so the creditors are showing up at her house. They want the payment. She doesn't have what they're asking for. And so the result is they're going to take her two sons and they're going to be enslaved. So not only has she lost her husband, not only is now she looking at the fact that this overwhelming debt is, has been handed to her. Because she has no way to pay it, now she's about to lose her son. She's about to lose everything that she owns. And a widow in those day, days, their options were not very much. There weren't a whole lot of options with those kind of losses. And so when you think about her situation and you think about what she's looking at, Everything she thinks about the future is there is no future. When she talks to Elisha about her situation, she says, there's nothing I have. 
There's nothing I can do about my situation. Everywhere she looks is lack and loss. And because that's her focus, because her focus is on what she doesn't have, that she can't fix it, that there's no solution, because that's what her focus is, there's no future. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one teaches us something about faith. It teaches us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. So notice faith doesn't have substance as long as it's just looking at what you currently have or where you're currently at or what maybe even you currently don't have, your lack, your loss, your limits. If you look at that, then faith has no substance to it. So faith has to focus. The faith to have substance has to hope for something. If I put my faith in what I'm seeing right now, then my faith has no concreteness. It has no weight. It has no force. So I've got to look at what's being hoped for, not at what I currently have. And as long as she saw the lack and the problems, she had no answers. But faith has a way of focusing. Faith focuses on possibility instead of impossibility. Faith focuses on harvest instead of famine. Faith focuses on multiplication and not division. You know, one of the things I've learned about some people, the only math that they know is subtraction and division. They're always pulling things down. Their focus is always negative, but God cannot work with someone that looks at their life and says, I have zero, I have zilch, I have nothing because God needs something to work with. If you give God zero and you multiply that times who he is and how great he is, Last time I checked in math, it still equals zero. You can take zero, multiply it times a million, and it's zero. You can take zero, multiply it times a billion, it's zero. It doesn't matter what number, what potential, what possibility you introduce into the equation. If all you bring to it is nothing and zero, even though God's infiniteness and his his largeness and the possibilities of what God can do, you can't even really mathematically place a number on it. If all you do is bring God zero, then guess what? There's nothing God can do with that. And so what does the prophet Elisha do? He comes to her and he says, we've got to focus you not on the nothing areas, on the zero areas. We've got to focus your eyes on something. There's surely something in your house. And she says, well, I guess I have one jar of oil. She discovered something. She discovered she did have something. She did have something that, that she could add to the equation and then God could multiply what that is, even though in her mind it wasn't much, times who he is, and God can do something great with that. You see, a lot of people, come to church or they come to the things of God or they walk in on a Sunday morning like this and we're so glad that you're here, but you come in with a negative focus. You come in with what can't be done. You come in with your history and the patterns of the past and you come in with your limited thinking and you come in in your mind carrying 
the failures of the past and you come in bringing the challenges and you're focused on the problems and you're focused on the losses. And, and in your mind, you just are saying to yourself, I don't really know what I have to give God. I don't know what I have that can make a difference. And people with a zero spirit, no matter what God introduces into their life, no matter how much he blesses them, how much opportunity he brings them, how much talent, how much gifting, no matter how many godly relationships, no matter how many great doors he opens for them, because they're always bringing that zero spirit and mentality, when God gives them something, their takeaway is still going to be zero. It's still going to be nothing because when you come to God, you cannot bring him a nothing mindset. You've got to say, surely there's something I have, even if it's insignificant to others that I can bring to him. And so all the widow found was one jar of oil, just one. And God said, I can work with that. Zero, I can't do anything with that. But one, just one, something can happen with that. In John chapter six, we get the lunchbox principle. Of course, all that was available to feed 5,000 men plus women and children was a young boy's lunchbox. Now, the problem that exists is there's no way one lunchbox can meet the need that existed. But it was something. It wasn't much, it wasn't significant. It, there's no way, practically speaking, it could meet the need but notice what Jesus does is he takes the lunchbox. He doesn't turn towards the lunchbox and focus on it. He turns his eyes towards heaven. He focuses his faith and he thanks God for what they have, that lunchbox. And all of a sudden it's multiplied times whatever the need was and every single person was fed, every single person's need was met because Jesus is teaching us again, faith only has substance if you focus it on what's hoped for. You can't focus it on the little that you have or in your mind, the almost nothing that you have. You've gotta put your faith on who he is. And even if it's just a lunchbox you bring him, if you'll give it to him, he multiplies at times who he is and it can do really even the impossible in life. If you were to look at Jesus and say what the disciples said, your conclusion would be the same thing. There's no way that lunchbox can do anything. But in God's mathematics, that's not the way it works. If you give God one, he can put a thousand to flight. If you give God two, he can put 10,000 to flight. If you give God one day, the Bible says a day is a thousand years. The Bible says God can redeem the time. God can restore the years, the locust, the canker worm and the palmer worm have eaten. Can you see that with God, you look at all that you've lost, all that you've given up, all that's been taken. You can, you can focus on that all day long or you can just say, you know what? Whatever all that is, I'm gonna bring something and whatever my something is, I'm gonna let God take that and multiply at times who he is. And now I can begin to see that still much can come out of my little. I'm thankful that over the years, God's multiplied my little times his much. God's multiplied what I think is not much, but I've said, God, if you'll use this, I'll give it to you. 
I've never been the most talented one in the room. I've never been the one that, st that stood out. I, I was never the one that was lined up and guys said, that's the preacher, that's the pastor. I, I could go back through boardrooms, board meetings, not here, I have the most amazing board in the world, but historically way back when I was a youth pastor. And so many times they discounted me, disqualified me. And most of the time, you know what, if I were to be honest with you today, they were right. I didn't have much, but I found a jar of oil. When those first 15 young people showed up in a little room in a little church in Michigan, it wasn't much. But I saw a jar of oil and I knew I could take that. I had something and I could give that to God and he could do something great with it. I could go back over the years where it looked bleak, it looked dark, our back was against the wall. We were concluding the same kind of things. It don't look like we have much of a future, but what did we decide to do? We decided to say, well, every week, we're just gonna keep telling people about Jesus, keep giving altar calls. And if it don't work, guess what? At least people are going to get saved on the way. Why? Because we knew if we gave God little, he could do much with it. You see, where your focus is, is where the power flows. If your focus is on the lack, if your focus is on the loss, if your focus is on the negative, then that's what you empower in your life. But the prophet Elisha says, listen, we've got to focus on something different and a multiplied force hit her life and hit her family. I love the idea that that young boy with the lunchbox was the only one that didn't need a miracle. He was the only one that didn't need provision, but yet he was the very one God was going to use to be the miracle. You see, sometimes we forget that we're not just needing God to do more in our life for us. We're needing God to do more because we want him to use us to be a miracle, to give what he's given us a way to bless other people's lives. You see, if you could talk to that young boy today and he could show up in 2019 on a Sunday morning at 1022 and talk to us about his testimony and his life, I'm guessing he might say this one thing to you and to me, that we can trust God with our lunchbox. We can trust God with our little and he can do much with it. Second Kings in the story, verse three, the prophet says, okay, what we're going to do here now that you found this one jar of oil, I want you to go out and I want you to knock on your neighbor's house and then I want you to knock on the next house's door and I want you to go around and I want you to borrow as many vessels as you can. And he says specifically, do not borrow a few. You see, conventional wisdom would have looked at this woman, looked at her loss, looked at her grief, looked at her lack, looked at what she was up against and conventional wisdom would say, you should expect very little from this person. But Elisha expected much. And people tell pastors all the time that what you have to do with church people is you have to expect very little. 
Because if you expect too much, they're gonna be uncomfortable. And if you expect too much, they're, they're gonna go somewhere else where they expect little. The problem with that is if all you do is come to a place because you want someone to expect little from you, then maybe you're gonna be saved, maybe you're gonna to get to heaven, but all you'll do is maintain in life. That's all you'll do is you'll just maintain, you'll just experience the status quo. If a church just says our job is to expect little, then what we'll do is we'll just maintain. At best, we'll maintain. At best, we'll stay in one place. But if we come into a place like this and we say, we're not called to listen to conventional wisdom. We're not called to give the kind of advice that you should just do as little as you can, give as little as you can, be as little as you can. Because if we do that, it sounds pious and religious and it sounds like this self-imposed humility. If we say, just be really, really little, don't think for more. But I believe God calls us to challenge you, to believe God for more, to take whatever you have, even if it's not much, and say, God, I wanna do something great with it, not for my glory, but for your glory and for your kingdom. So notice God does not say to the woman, what's the least you can do? God says, what do you have? And based on what you have, I want you to begin to dream for something big. I want you to go out and get as many vessels as you can. I want you to find as many that you possibly can gather up. Elisha doesn't tell her, listen, what's gonna happen is because of what you're going through, angels are going to come and bring you vessels from heaven. Uh, so God's gonna supernaturally put it on people's hearts and they're just gonna come and drop it off. No, he says to her, I want you to use what you have, but I want you to go do what you can. I want you to go gather as many empty vessels as you can. And that's always God's call for a church and a person that's after his heart is your job and my job is to always tell one another your job is to always show up in church and say, Pastor, don't you ever stop going out and getting empty vessels. My job is to look back at you and say, okay, then you don't stop going out and getting empty vessels. And we spur one another on is what the Bible says, into good works, into bigger things, into bigger dreams. Every person outside of the four walls of this church that God's assigned us to reach, they're an empty vessel. Every family in this room, every individual in this room, you come in, into services like this, you should be coming with that mindset, God, I'm an, I'm an empty vessel. Every service we have, every nursery room, preschool chapel, every elementary classroom, our children's church, our youth services, our college services, every outreach project that we have, every small group that meets, up in Summit right now, people discovering their gifts, can I, can I help you? out what all of these things are, every idea, every program, every prayer, they're giving God empty vessels. And God's promise is as long as you'll bring him those things, he'll continue to pour out his oil, his anointing, and he'll continue to do great and mighty things with it. I believe the greatest sin a Christian can commit is a sin of not fulfilling and reaching your potential. We need Elishas. We need people that will encourage us and challenge us to reach beyond what we think we can do, reach beyond where we think we can go and believe that if God be for us, nothing can stand against us. I love the fact that Elisha never looked at her and said, you know what, you need to 
compare what you're doing to so-and-so. He simply said, you give what you've got. You look at what's in your house. Don't look at what other people do. Listen, I've had to learn as a pastor, I can't look at what other churches do. It's a distraction. If you get caught up on what someone else does, then if they're doing less than you are, then you get a big head. If they're doing more than you are, then you all of a sudden feel insignificant. So your job is to not compare yourself to others. Your job is to say, what's in your house? And everything that we need for God to help us fulfill the future that he's assigned for us, which by the way, that future includes our sons and our daughters uh, fulfilling the call of God on their life. That, that, that future includes the blessing of God. That future includes the oil of the Holy Spirit continuing to be poured out over and over and over again every time that we meet. But you can't compare it to someone else. There's two women in the New Testament that their specific gifts were explained and defined down to the detail. Evan talked about one last week. It was the alabaster box that was worth one year's wages. One year's wages. And it was defined how much that woman gave. And if that's the only example we had in the New Testament, I don't know about you, but I can't give one year's wages to God. Come on. If you can, then I'll, I'll be right here. Shake your hand after service. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I love the gospel so much. I love the gospel so much because immediately we could all discount our involvement by the size of that woman's faith and by the greatness of her gift. But then another woman enters the storyline and all she gives is one mic, less than one cent. And the response and the reward and the approval from heaven was the exact same on both gifts. Because we don't look at other people. It's so easy to say, I don't have anything to bring to God. He's not, he's not looking for your zero mindset. He's looking for you to find something that you can bring, something that you can bring. I felt like I was on an assignment by God this weekend to stir your faith for more. I don't know what more is for you specifically, but what I can say is bringing that zero limited mindset, the marriage can never be better. The, the children are never going to be any different. My, my walk with God has been dry for a long time. I, I've never been able to get over the bitterness. I've never been able to get over the anger. I, I've never been able to get over the resentment. You don't know what I've been through more. You don't know what I've faced. You don't know the abuse I've gone through. You don't know what I've been handed. You don't know. And I'm just here to say, I like this woman, I don't know what you've been up against, but God sent me, just like he sent Elisha to that woman, to simply say, hey, listen, surely there's something you can give to God. You showed up on a Sunday morning to say, God, I want to give you something. And even though it may not be like much, I believe if you'll give it to God, God can continue to do much with it. But you have to be willing to give what you have and do what you can. Now, I know you're thinking I'm going to receive an offering, and I'm not. 
There's so many things you can give to God. You know, I was reading in a book this week that the average child smiles something like 400 times a day. And the average adult is like a hundredth of that. It's like less than 10 times a day. The average person refuses to have an interaction that lasts more than a few seconds. And there's statistics that prove if you'll give a person three minutes, it can change the nature of the relationship. Just three focused minutes. What do you have? You know, in athletics, what do they say? What do they call it? One more rep. One more rep. Everyone else does 12, you do 13. Come on, somebody. It's just one more rep. It's one more phone call. It's one more hour going the extra mile. It's, it's, it's putting just something extra in it and let God show you that he can pour something out on that that would exceed your wildest expectations, but you've got to say, God, I'm going to give you what I have. I'm gonna do what I can. When I think as a church, the practical ways we're encouraging people to do this in this next season is one of the ways next week, we're going to do our tithe and, tithe and faith challenge, which is something we've done for many years here. There's no pressure to do anything. We've never made a big deal out of it. This is just for people to begin to learn what Malachi chapter three says, that you can test God's promise in the area of your giving. It's the only place in the Bible you can test God is in the area of your finances. But the Bible promises when you do that, when you test God, that there's three promises that he gives you. One, he'll bless you. Two, he'll protect you. He'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. And three, God will give you favor, that he'll make the nations attracted to you. God will give you favor. I don't know about you, but I need God's blessing. I need God's protection and I need God's favor. And not only do I need his favor, but I need to be able to grow in his favor, which is what Jesus did. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor, not just with God, but with man. We need to grow in the favor of God. And so the Bible says, when you trust God and all that is, is just simple obedience. And when you're obedient, it puts all the pressure on God, all the responsibility on God, and it makes it easy on you. When you're disobedient, it puts all the pressure on you. And so God says, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna set up a test for people. And so we as a church are just doing what Malachi chapter three says. We initiate the test with you. We give you a starting block in which to start. We show you how to start and we help you go into it in that kind of a way. If you wanna do that next week, we're gonna uh, maybe give the, those of you who want that a choice. It'll be really quick at the end of the service, just a real quick choice. The second thing we're doing is two weeks from now, we have end game which is an illustrated message. And it's designed for you to bring people with you. It's designed for you to not come by yourself. And so two weeks from now, we wanna challenge you to bring somebody with you. Don't just come by yourself, bring somebody with you. Bring a friend. I think one of the greatest church services you'll ever have is when you watch someone come with you and you watch their life changed for the glory of God. And that's all of a sudden when church starts to be fun is when you stop coming to see what you can get out of it and you start seeing, hey, I'm gonna bring an empty vessel with me and I'm gonna watch God fill their life the way he filled my life. So bring somebody with you. I believe, I believe it'll be an inspiring weekend. And then we have Christmas Spectacular right around the corner that first weekend in December. And then we have our Heart for the House offering the second week in December, which you're hearing about many of the initiatives that we plan on doing. That's just our way to give above and beyond for those of you who've already started at the base level, uh, honoring God with, with that tithe 
then for those of you who want to give over and above, we give everybody the opportunity to do that at the end of every year. These are just ways. You don't have to participate in any of these things. As a church family, our job is to keep challenging you to say, what do you have? What's in your house? And keep giving God those empty vessels and watch him bless you, protect you, and watch God's favor be on you in a supernatural way. In Jesus' name.